Let's pray and look to our King. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, Lord God. We thank you for making it this far, Lord God. You owe us nothing, but freely you gave us salvation. Freely you continue to give us breath, Lord God. Our heart beats every day, Lord God. And we thank you for that because we don't deserve any second of it, Lord God. But Lord, as we stand here today getting ready to hear some more words that come from you, Lord God, bless our brother Rasul as he brings the word from you, Lord God. Prepare our hearts. Help all those distractions, our phones, our life, our, our money, our cares of the world. Help us just for this moment, just let's just forget about it, Lord God, and receive, receive from you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. What then shall we say these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's good news today, isn't it? Well, Happy New Year, Bridge. That was kind of weak. Let's try that again. Happy New Year. There you go. Now it feels a little better. You know, a couple of days ago, we was, I know, a lot louder than that. Um, well, welcome to 2016 and the first uh, church service of the year. And, you know, it's been interesting that as you... You look at, you know, as Chris mentioned, many of us, you know, set New Year's resolutions. Raise your hand if you have any New Year's resolutions that you set this year, any goals. You know, you might call them something else, goals, or okay, cool. All right. Now, raise your hand if you already broke them <laughs> already in day three. No, no. Well, don't worry. You still got 362 days left to, to make that happen. Um, but, no, really, uh, we're excited to even just, I feel, really feel like the Lord was just, giving us a word about making the most of this year. And um, so uh, let's pray. Uh, Father in heaven, we are grateful for the fact that nothing can separate us from your love. No sin, no shame, no past, or no pain. And Lord, we're, we're grateful for that because there are things in 2015 that we're glad that don't separate us from your love. That happened. There's some pain we experienced as well. And we ask that as we go into this new year, would you refresh us with new grace 
energize us with new mercies and new perspective to honor you, the one who doesn't change, though the seasons change, though the years change, but you stay the same. Give us a word today that will help us springboard into 2016 for all that you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as, as Chris mentioned that, you know, there's a lot of uh, resolutions that people and a lot of goals that we can set. And uh, specifically, um, we looked, he looked at a stat about uh, how many of those get kept. And so what we want to do today is talk about this theme uh, of what it means to kind of live out completely the calling that God has for us. And specifically, he said 50, he was being a little bit generous. Specifically, the, the statistic is 45%, according to Forbes.com, of, of us set resolutions. That looked about right even just as we uh, kind of did a quick survey in the, in the congregation. And out of those 45% of the resolutions that are set, by the time we get to December 31st, 2016, the statistics show 8% of those will be kept, right? Now, I don't believe that God simply wants us to have a New Year's resolution, but he wants a new you revolution. See, that, I think the ultimate thing, and again, I'm not against resolutions. I've set some myself. I have goals. But it's interesting to look at why do we keep falling up short and whose goals are they anyway becomes a very important question. And, and, and I, I want to draw our attention to this passage that kind of frames and sets this perspective for us. One of my favorite passages in all of Scripture, Ephesians 2.10, it says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, there's a couple interesting things about this passage. Uh, First, we see it says that we're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. So that suggests that there was something that God created us to do as opposed to a kind of a willy-nilly, choose-your-own-adventure kind of perspective. Is that like a a workmanship, a a masterpiece is created with a certain purpose in mind. It doesn't get to choose its own purpose and state. It it is created for one. But then also it says, for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So there's this tension and this contrast in the passage. And the interesting thing is you look at a couple of verses before in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. It says that for it is by grace that you have been saved, not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, that no one should boast. Now, here's a little bit of an interesting thing. Paul just said a verse ago, it's not of works, but yet we were saved for works. See, see, we're not saved by doing good works, but we're saved for good works. To do something. To do more than just sit there and feel good about ourselves for the fact that we are saved. And here's the problem that I think is so tragic when we get to this time of year. Is that we, we get to this point where we, you know, we set ourselves up on this ladder of success, right? So there's this ladder here. Oh, yeah, I can't prepare. Um, and so we decide, you know what? There's a goal. I need a spotter. Gotcha, baby. Yeah. 
First New Year's resolution, don't fall off the ladder and the message. And, you know, we decide that we want to climb up this ladder of success. And we want to get to the top of the ladder. And once, if I could just get to the top, I will be successful. The problem is, what if God wants you to be over there on that side of the wall? We end up climbing up the wrong ladder, getting to the wrong wall. Thanks, bro. You can put that back against the, the thing. Here, here's how Stephen Covey said it. If the ladder is not leaning against the right wall, every step we take just gets us to the wrong place faster. And this is the problem with many of our resolutions that we set. We go in fast, but we go in nowhere fast. Because it's not what we were made to do or created to be. You know, I, I had this experience myself. Uh, I remember when I first, um, in ninth grade, I, I joined a wrestling team. And... Uh, it was an incredible, uh, I did a lot of different sports. It was the most grueling training of any sport that I did. I mean, we ran, you know, two miles. Then after two miles, we would go up and down steps for like another 30 minutes. Then after going up and down steps, we did push-ups. And then we did push-ups and we did sit-ups. And then we did sit-ups and then we lift weights. And then after all of that was done, then you got to the wrestling somebody about your weight. That was, it was rough. But see, here's the thing. And at first... I won a lot of, uh, of my matches, and then eventually, my coach gave me the nickname, The Electrician. You know why he called me The Electrician? He called me The Electrician because I was always getting pinned looking at the lights. <laughs> and the issue was, the reason why I won all those other matches that I had was because they didn't have anybody in the 103-pound weight class. That's how much I weighed in ninth grade. And so I won those. But as soon as it came to somebody with opposition, I realized that wasn't my thing. I actually wasn't good at it. I was pretty bad. So all the training and the intensity and all of those things I did, I was going up the wrong ladder. And many of us find ourselves in that situation and in that predicament. It's, it's why we look at the award shows, right, that's going you know, to be coming out pretty soon, and, and then somebody gets the award for pimp them, maim them, kill them, and then they get up and they're like, yo, first I want to just thank my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ for giving me the ability to make this. And you're like, and God's like in heaven, like, I had nothing to do with that. <laughs> I didn't, that wasn't my hookup, bro. And, and so we, we, we build up and we climb up the wrong way, the wrong ladder. And so my challenge for us as we think about this process in 2016 is how do we get up the right ladder? How do we climb up the right wall and how do we actually achieve what God has for us to achieve? And so we're going to look at the, and examine this issue, right? Because here's where we go. We're talking about live like a boss, Right? And there's this expression that goes like, you know, doing something like a boss, right? So, and here's the problem with a lot of the internet culture that we have. Because we think that somehow because we put a hashtag, the same hashtag on something that like our favorite celebrity did, that that means that like we on the same page and, on, and climbing up the same ladder that they're climbing on. No, that's not how it works. So, when we see this little dude, right, it's like clearly there was some work that went into his flexibility life and into his flexibility game before the cameras took a snapshot. There were some things that he had to do in order to get there so he could be chilling like a boss. 
But what we do is we just like the meme, and then we just go, look, I'm, I got my Doritos, my Cheetos, I'm chilling, watching games or whatever on Netflix, and I'm chilling like a ball suit, just like he doing. No, you're not. Because he actually got, he took some effort to get to where he was, to get there. And if we're not careful, one of the problems is that we end up having this shortcut to success. And then there's this concept of a boss anyway, right? Because when we do something, what does it mean to do something like a boss? What is a boss? A boss is someone who is in charge of something, right? They, they run in things. And so the big idea for this morning and this afternoon is that before you can be a boss in 2016, you must allow God to be your boss. Put it a different way. Before we can set goals that matter, we must know what matters to our boss. Because, you know, many of us who work or if you're in school or something and you can't just decide to do whatever you want to do and then be like, yo, I was grinding all day doing this thing. And your boss had something completely else that they wanted you to do and feel like you've accomplished something. Right. Like, yo, I just killed in uh, that game of solitaire, yo, you know what I mean? Just like bragging to your boss about how well you were doing playing video games at work. That's not going to go over too well, even if you did top your high score. Right. Because there was something else that you were supposed to be doing. Before we set goals that matter, we must know what matters to our boss and what he wants us to do about it. Because even though there's what he, what in broad terms, there's what matters to the boss, but then specifically there's our assignments that he has for us to do. So in any organization, there are roles and responsibilities that each of us have to fill in order to get there. So here's, here's where this other passage really hits me, and, the, um, and we're going to jump into it. So BOSS, I'm using as an acronym, and the B begins with, begin with goals that matter. Begin with goals that matter. Before we even, you know, even as we evaluate the goals that we have currently set or maybe we're planning to get set, some of us in our procrastinator grind still hasn't gotten there yet, that's cool, this message is for you, right? You ain't got to get in your New Year's resolutions. But... Here's the thing, what are you hoping to achieve with the goal that you set? Is it to give God glory or to give more glory to yourself? For example, there's a difference in perspective between trying to lose weight just so you can get more attention and actually live a healthy lifestyle so you can give glory to the temple, you know, to God for giving you the temple that he's made you with. There's a difference in perspective from just trying to get that promotion so you can get money and get paid and get the next thing that you're looking for versus being a good steward of what God has given you and then honoring him with whatever increase that he decides to give you by giving more. There's a difference in our perspective, those things, and that would, so we have to begin with goals that matter. Here's an interesting quote. Goals are dreams with deadlines. See, one of the challenges is that there's this issue of time that comes up when we think about uh, this issue of what are goals. And, and it's a difference. Uh, just because you have a dream in your bed sometime, like, yo, you know, you're watching the Emmys or the Oscars or whatever, and you're like, yo, I'd like to do that one day. That's, that's just a dream. It becomes a goal when there's actually some action points and action items that you set to it. And then, of course, the bigger question of where does that fit in God's economy of what his plan is in this world and what he's actually doing? So goals are dreams with deadlines. And check out this passage. 
Because this, when we get to deadlines and we get to this idea of time, this is where the rubber hits the road. In Ephesians, Paul says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Now, this passage is one that's always been interesting to me because you look at it and you go, okay, all right, first of all, in Ephesians 5, he's setting up this whole list of things where he talks about people living in darkness and walking in darkness. And he says, look, as believers, as child, children of God, as a child of God, we should not be looking like the darkness that we see around us, but we should look like light. And then he explains the specific ways in which the darkness looks in that chapter Sexual immorality, drunkenness, this, that, lying, anger, whatever. And then he says, you shouldn't be like those things. In fact, your light should be the agent that exposes those things to the world. You should be light in darkness, right? So then he says, therefore, look carefully then, very carefully how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. And there's this aspect where you go, days are evil. How can a day be evil or good? It's just a day. It's just a moment of time. What Paul is saying there is that it don't take much help. You don't need help to procrastinate. Like that, that you just wake up and turn your phone on and you got about a hundred thousand different ways you could procrastinate right there. You don't need help to go for self and to, to, to satisfy your flesh when you get up in the morning. You don't need it ain't like you got to conjure up all of that in your own. You know what I'm saying? You can get help. Sometimes, how many times you've been on the internet so you be like, whoa, I wasn't even looking for that. How'd that come up? I wasn't even, I was trying to find a Bible verse and that came out of nowhere. <laughs> Happens to me all the time while I was preparing this message. <laughs> the days are evil, right? The days, there's a sense in which the, the, the prevailing winds push us away from sense of purpose and a sense of God's plan for us. And not only that, but there's even a sense of time. Now, we live in the city that probably, I don't, I don't know if there's a more time-conscious place on the planet. There's even a phrase called a New York Minute, right? And it highlights how fast things happen, how quickly, you know, time elapses. And time costs more money than it does anywhere else here. I mean, rent, that's just time. How much time you get to live someplace, Right? Parking spaces, and then the resultant parking tickets when you don't get there in time. Hello, somebody? <laughs> Let's talk about the time it takes you to find that parking space in downtown Brooklyn. Time costs so much. You know, I came from a place, you know, I moved here in, from Indiana in October, and guess what? There's a funny thing. In Indiana, when you actually go on Google Maps and see how far some place is, that's how actually far it is. That's how, how much time it actually takes. Novel concept. Here, it's just more like a general suggestion. Like, it's going like, it ain't going, you ain't going to get there no quicker than this. <laughs> but, you know, you probably need to tack on about 20, 30 to that joint, too. It's a different mindset when it comes to time. So the phrase, make the best use of time, also has been translated, making the most of every opportunity. And it translates in the Greek, exagorazio, which can also mean redeem or to purchase. It's literally this idea of buying back time. And when we think about our own stories and all the time that we've wasted, 
in our lives before coming to a sense of purpose in who Christ is. It's like, yo, there's time I need to buy back. But not only that, but even in the world in which we live in today, there's aspects of time where it's like we just can't be wasting time. Because people are lost. You know, Chris was just telling me, we lose people every day. You know what I mean? And, and our, our sense, so we can't, and time is an even more pre, uh, precious resource than money. Because you lose some money, you can find money again. You lose time, it's gone. It's gone. There is no getting it back. Nobody can, like, hook you up for 10 minutes. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, that's just, it's just, it's just, it's just over. And so there's this aspect of redeeming the time. And being wise in what we do with the time that God has given us. And, 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 this, and it takes, and look at what Paul's saying, and look carefully how you walk. Because it takes thought. It takes, it takes effort. It takes skill to get to a place where I'm not just wasting time. And we need to recognize that the world in which we live, in our own flesh, wants to do the opposite of what God wants to do with our time. We can end up spending time trying to impress people instead of trying to do what it is that God has called us to do. And then on top of that, there we live in the age of WMDs. Who knows what a WMD is? We heard a lot about them a few years ago. Somebody talked to me. What is it? Weapons of mass destruction. That was where the term usually came from. It, But now these new version, they've been upgraded. And these WMDs are not like hiding in some place in the Middle East. They actually are small enough to fit inside our pockets. These WMDs draw our attention away from spiritual things. They consume our time. And even though we have the best intentions to do what God has called us to do, to live out this purpose, these WMDs waylay us and distract us. These are the WMDs of today. How many times have you... Woke up in the morning and was like, yo, I'm just about to get it in with the Lord, about to do my devotional time. But, oh, I got a notification. Let me just see. Just this is one thing. I just, it's just two little red dots, right? Let me pop that in. 90 minutes later. Up, oh, got to go to work. How many times have we gotten to a place where we just get distracted by what is going on around us? Anybody? Can I get a witness? Am I, look, I, it's happened to me a lot where these weapons of mass distraction pull us away from what it is that we're called us to do, pull us away from a sense of effectiveness, pull us away from a sense of purpose. I mean, how many times have we, we're like, yo, I'm going to watch this last Netflix episode, and then I'm done. And then you got like 10 seconds before that wheel starts to round out, and if you don't hit stop, you don't close out that browser beforehand. Boom, it's coming back on. All right, all right, I'm just going. This will be the last one, though. This for real, the last one. The days are evil. <laughs> Andy Minio put it this way. Baby, how you going to complete your life checklist? Spending every night watching Netflix. Time is precious. <laughs> so... We have to recognize that we have to be a boss. And, and part of that is be beginning with goals that matter and not allowing ourselves to be distracted. The O is own your actions. Bosses 
good ones, they own stuff. And they own actions in particular. They ha- are accountable. And, they, and, and, and we, 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 there's something that we can all own, regardless if you got a house or you don't have a house. You got a car if you don't have a car. You can own the choices that you make. That's on you. You can own that. And one of the challenges that we have is that there's a tendency in our culture to get away from actually ownership and responsibility of the choices that we make. And um, I'm just going to skip past that, but check out this, what Proverbs has to say about us. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, a boss, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. He says, look, look, look at the ant and, and look at what the ant does. No one has to tell the ant, yo, you got to set your alarm and then you got to set your backup alarm in case your first alarm don't get you up. And then at that point, you know, knock on the door and be like, hey, you ain't going to school yet? You ain't at work yet? What's going on? The ant is like, look, it gets up and they already know the seasons and the times it is. It says, look, during the summertime, it's like, yo, at some point it's about to get cold. So I need to start storing up right now for when it gets cold. And then it says it gathers food in the harvest. And, and so the ant is saying, look, this is a, a picture, an example of how it doesn't have to have somebody tell them what to do. See, this is the thing. Bosses get to tell people what to do because somebody didn't have to tell them what to do at some point. You can't get there with just a hashtag. You got to get there with the discipline and the fortitude to understand that what I do and the choices I make right now affect the future that God has for me. We have to own our actions. Check out the next part of the passage. It says, how long will you lie there? See, it's about to get all up in our world, right? How long will you lie there, slugger, which basically means lazy person? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little snooze. Oops, I'm sorry. A little slumber, a little another snooze, another five minutes. And it says, a little folding of the hands to rest. Just let me just, just get a little bit comfortable. And it says, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. It's like once, want like the desire for things that you don't have is going to come up when you're like, yo, son, give me everything you got when you're lazy. <laughs> yeah. That's how it comes. How many times have you at some point in your life needed like just an urgency or something just came up, an emergency? All of a sudden somebody hit you. And you didn't, you know, hit your car or, you know, someone stole something. And now all of a sudden you don't have what you need. That's how want comes on you. Now what the ant has done is because it's stored up, because it knew that moment was going to come at some point in its future, it have what is a use, it, it used to be called something like a savings account, I think was the word. It was like people at one point back in the day, they used to actually save money, right, so that when something happened, they had money to do with the stuff that they wasn't expecting. It's a crazy concept, but it actually worked. It actually worked. And so it says, look, these things will happen, but we have to own our actions. And then the next part of that is we have to decide, am I going to be proactive or reactive? There's two different ways to look at it. The two thoughts, as simple as I can make it, is do you, which box would you check? Life is what happens to me, or life is what I make happen. It's, it's, it's a matter of perspective. When you look back on your own biography, is it a series of events that have something happening to you, and that's how you interpret and look at it? 
or is it a series of events of choices that you made? Because see, part of what it means to be made in, in, in God's image, to be his workmanship, to be his craftsmanship, is to be recognized that God has given us a sense of will and choices and decisions to make, just like he has that. And when I am walking in my purpose, I am making things happen. The world, I am causing the world to react to me, not just me reacting to the world. It's about being proactive with your time and not simply reacting. Let me, all right, I got, let me break it down for you. Proactive people pay a bill because it's due. Reactive people pay a bill because if they don't pay that bill, that bone is going to get cut off. The electric is going to get cut off. The gas is going to get cut off. Something's going bad going to happen. So when we get to that point, that's when we pay. Proactive, reactive. And then what happens with that reactive person? You're like, well, either way, the bill got paid. Yeah, but then when it's time for you to get something else, guess what your credit score is? Own our actions. And then on top of that, then we start blaming people. See, if so-and-so, if they wouldn't have just let me. No. No, baby. It's you. It's you. We have to make a decision. You can make stuff happen or you can make excuses for things not happening. But you can't do both. So in 2016, you have to make a decision. Am I going to take the initiative and responsibility for myself or am I going to blame other people for what I didn't do? Amen? Okay, that's the O. S is see the scoreboard. We see it every time we look at an athletic competition. Stuff that looks like this, right? A track athlete, a relay team finishes, and they look that way. <laughs> a figure skater looks up. What are they looking at? They're looking at the scoreboard. Because the scoreboard is telling them something. It's telling them, am I winning or am I losing? There's in a sense where they understand the most basic concept of what does it take for me to get the goal that I have accomplished. And they can see a visual demonstration and they look for it as soon as they did what they do. And part of the problem with us is that we don't look at the scoreboard. We don't, we don't actually look up to see anything. And so when somebody asks us in March, well, how are you doing with that New Year's resolution? It's like, good, I guess. I don't know. See, like, versus being able to look up like this coach. And this coach is looking up, and you see he has the headset on. And coaches are famous for their, at the halftime, if they can make in-game adjustments based on what the scoreboard is telling them. See, they, they don't just even just look at the numbers, but they also look at, okay, how many yards did we get? How did we convert on third down? Okay, we didn't do this. They're rushing from this side. And then a good coach knows how to talk to the rest of his team and make adjustments based on what didn't happen. See, part of the problem with the resolutions is that we got, like, plan A, and that's it. And something hits up against that plan, frustrates it, and that's all we got. Oh, well, maybe, hopefully maybe next year as opposed to being able to compare my actions to something objective that's out there and be able to say, okay, I need to make an adjustment. Because while I set this budget, while I tried to, my goal was to save $500 a month, but I didn't anticipate this happening, and so now i got to make an adjustment and maybe get down to $250. Instead, we go, well, couldn't say that. Might as well blow it off. And so we got to see the scoreboard. So you see in this scoreboard, this, you, you got a lot of different information there. If the home team is, is who, who's winning? Okay. What quarter are we in? Okay. Who has the ball? 
There you go. So you can see these things. So we have to actually have a visual picture of what it is that we're trying to shoot for and see if we're getting there. And when it comes to, again, again now here's a problem. The, the, the teams don't get to make their own scoreboard up. There's a sense in which there's already been a, a agreed upon notion. Somebody, someplace, the maker of the game said, this is how you win the game. And Jesus has given us that already. He said, look, at, look the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. That's the scoreboard. See, in the hood, you know, we would do, you know, you play games with somebody and they would talk trash to you. And they'd be like, ah, you can't do this or da-da-da-da. And your, your mother's over there, da-da-da. And then you would just say, if you were winning, scoreboard. And that ended the conversation. Because everything else had to deal with, am I winning or am I losing? And if I'm winning, I don't got any more rap for you because that doesn't matter. Well, Jesus is trying to tell us, point our eyes to the score. If my goal, if my purpose in this world is in alignment with his, then this verse right here is a problem. We're, we're not up in the game because the harvest is plentiful, meaning that there are many people who are willing to respond to the gospel, are willing to respond to seeing God change their lives. There's just not enough teammates that are jumping in the game. There's not enough people that are willing to say, yo, put me in, coach. And because of that, we're losing. That's the scoreboard that we need to be looking at. And then adjusting and judging all of our jobs and our specific responsibilities based on that reality. Here's a practical, very practical way to do this, right? Because you can't just point to a harvest and go scoreboard. In Habakkuk, this is what the Lord said. It says, and the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets. One thing that's a very simple but interesting observation is that when you look in the Old Testament, you see God didn't just say, yo, Moses, here are my Ten Commandments. All right, just tell them. But he put them on tablets. When he spoke to this prophet, he didn't just say, all right, go tell him this, but he said, write it down. We need to have visual representations of what it is that our goals are. Write them down. Write them down, but not just write it down, but then position it and post it in a place where you can actually see what it is and be reminded what it is of what God has for you to do. Write it down. Now, again, don't, now don't, I'm, I'm not into this whole, like, there's some visualization, and if you just see it happen, it's going to make it happen. No, no, that's not what I'm saying at all. But what I'm saying is that there's this natural ability, just put it this way. Who here has ever driven, right, on a highway and then saw a speed limit and then like kind of put your foot off the brake, right? That's a practical illustration of the fact that we, we already knew what the speed limit was, but somehow seeing that sign or seeing that police car next to us kind of reminded us, I need to slow my roll. And it's the same thing. We need these visual reminders of what it is that we're doing. We need to see the scoreboard. Uh, another practical illustration. So this is an app that I have called Fujicate, right? So many of us have goals, to fitness goals, health goals. Raise your hand if you got some type of health goal for 2016. Lose weight, gain weight, whatever it is. So it's a very clear and simple methodology for how this works. Now, this is an app called Fujicate. And basically, it would allow you to track your consumption and your exercise goals, right? So it's a very simple mathematical equation. Losing weight, gaining weight is not rocket science. It's you have to consume, if you're trying to lose weight, you have to eat less than you burn. You have to burn more calories in a given day, in a given week, than you actually eat. If you eat more calories than what you burn, then you what? What happens? You gain weight. 
If they level out, you don't, you just stay the same. If you burn more calories, then that's called being in deficit. When you burn more than you eat, then you actually make traction. And so what this is, what this just picture does is you see it says burn, lunch, burn. And so it just actually shows you how many calories you have left. And this is helpful if you're trying to lose weight, but just in general, you have to have some type of vision, what it is, a visual presentation of what it is God wants you to do in this year and put it in front of yourself, put it on a wall, put it on a, you know, lock screen, put it someplace so you can continue to see it. You have to see the scoreboard. And then lastly, set up a support system. One of the key things of, you, you, it's funny, when you look at like Weight Watch or speaking of weight, or any even stuff like alcohol, anonymous, narc, anything that involves someone trying to change their life, it involves a group of people. They don't just do it by themselves and make it happen, but they do it in connection with other people. Put it simply, we are better together. We were made to be in community. Now, we don't always like it, <laughs> but everybody needs help. And we need support when we fall off. And that's what accountability is for. Now, one thing I enjoy about watching award shows is when you, someone gets the award, right, and they come up to the podium, they immediately start thanking everybody that was behind the scenes making what make it possible for them to do what they do, right? From their publicist to their spouse to their parents, they understand and they recognize I would not be up here getting this accolade that I just received if it wasn't for other people. And in the same way, what that means, we have to position ourselves in such a way to get help from other people. Somebody say help. So there's a passage that says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. The issue oftentimes with us is we try to do this thing on our own. And the same thing is true spiritually in our Christian life. God has not made us to be isolated. He's not made us to try to do this and just be on our grind. He's made us to be in such a way that we can be seen and we can see. We can have somebody else come along with us and we can, if sometimes we fall down, just like with that ladder. It's like, yo, if I, ain't trying to, if I tried to climb that thing by myself, it would have been a different thing happening, right? It would have been a different message. Like somebody called the cops, Russell and fell. <laughs> but because I had somebody that was willing to, be, to spot me, I got you. I'll make sure the ladder that you're trying to climb, that it was stable. We need the same thing spiritually. This is a picture uh, of an event. I um, had the opportunity and privilege to teach some uh, kids at this sports camp this summer. Now, backstory. This was the first time that our ministry had ever tried to do an urban high school sports camp. We usually do it with just college students who are Christians and kind of their division one athletes, and, and so they kind of know what to do with their bodies, and they are focused, and they want to live for Jesus. And this one was more of an outreach. And so basically, basically to put it, these kids were raw. They came from the street. They, the first night during worship, half of them were on their phones on Instagram during worship. Like during the, the camp, the next day, there were kids, we had to take the cable out of their dorms because they were watching porn at a Christian sports game. And by the end of that second day, we thought, man, this is not, this, maybe this was a bad idea, us doing this experimental thing. 
But by day three, something started to change in the, in the, conf, in the camp, and, and people started to really catch the word and start to listen to what we were doing. At first, everybody was just trying to impress themselves by, by their feats of strength and speed, and they were just bragging, and they were winning games, and they were just focused on that, not on the spiritual principles we were trying to instill. But that began to change, too. And then the last day, what we do is we, we take them to this uh, park. We were in, um, in Ohio, and we take them to this road, and they have to run um, down the hills about a half mile down a hill with a wooden beam and then run up it, right? Um, and the wooden beam is to symbolize, you know, carrying your cross and recognizing that when you go back home that you have to be able to bear up under the temptations and the struggles that are before you. Well, there was this one kid that... He was, you know, he had got to change his life during the, conf- the camp, and he was, like, all excited to do this thing. But when he got down the hill, he, he, he just got a big cramp in his, in his hamstring, and he couldn't move anymore. And his teammates, the other high school kids who just earlier in the week were just wilding out, but now he had caught these principles, they were finished their race already. But when they heard and saw what, that he had fallen, they ran down that hill, and they carried him half a mile uphill and you see him pointing and saying there's the finish line you're almost there this kid was crying he was in so much pain and they were like he's you're almost there you can make it you can make it keep going and there wasn't a dry eye in the whole place because we all saw how amazing it was that God had changed their heart and their perspective it wasn't about them bragging anymore about how fast they made it up their race But it was about realizing that because he wasn't done until he finished his race, nobody was done. And it was going to take whatever it took. And that's the kind of support that we need when we get in this life. We can't do this thing on our own and by ourselves. So in order to live like a boss, that's what we need to do in 2016. We need to begin with goals that matter, not just that stroke our egos. We need to own our actions. We need to see the scoreboard and set up a support system. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. On that, I want to draw our attention as I close to the last, another part of this phrase in the beginning when it says, we are his workmanship. Before we get to workmanship, and that word workmanship in the Greek is poema. It's the word that we get poem from. God is like, you're my, my poetic masterpiece. You're, you're my poem. But the, the key part about that identity is his. We're his. And, and so we're not saved to do good works, but we're saved for good works, but ultimately Jesus is saying the primary identity, regardless if you get all 10 of your to-do items accomplished in 2016 or you strike out on every single one of them, the key question is, are you in relationship with me? Because the biggest issue in our world is that we try to find our sense of significance and worth by what we can accomplish, not on what Jesus has already accomplished. And on the cross, he said, it is finished, which meant that he paid for our sin debt in full so that we don't have to try to just find our esteem and our value in the things that we do, but in who he is. 
And that has to continue to be the focus in 2016. The main work, the main goal is to know him and to love him. In 2016, if that's the only thing you do, then you've reached boss status. Goals are dreams with deadlines. What deadlines will you set up to complete this year? May the first one be a love relationship with the one who has saved us. Amen. Let me pray. Uh, Father in heaven, we thank you for allowing us to see another year. We thank you that you have declared that we're not legitimate with you because of our boss status, because of what it is that we can claim that we own or we can claim that we do or what we've done. And those things do matter. But you said you've saved us in spite of ourselves. So, Lord, we pray that you would help us to cherish that. Help us to find joy and delight in that more than anything else. And yet, God, you do say that you have saved us not by our good works, but for good works. Help us to live lives that are worthy of the calling that we have received. Help us to actually find out the good works that it is that you've called us to do and to do them. Help us to embrace the calling that you have for our lives and, and see that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, one last thing before the team, the worship team gets up. I want to really encourage you, because this stuff is kind of can be challenging and hard, to take time to just reflect at God might be calling you to do. And it's okay to not know. That's okay too. That's why it's a process. And it might take time. But to do it in community with that. We, um, we have a, 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 actually a lock screen that we created. We'll show you after toward the end of service that it kind of just be a, a, a reminder that you can actually find on the Facebook page and the website to help us to remember to make the most of every opportunity that we've been given. So let's do that this year. Amen.